good to see you all this morning. I realized as I got up here this morning that, that with my new pulpit, I have a shelf here. And my wife brought me Dutch Brothers just a little bit ago. I could have set that up there. Now I risk Eric back there drinking my Dutch Brothers when I'm not looking. <laughs> Though there might be something about, uh, is that sacrilegious? Thine Dutch Brothers shall not rest upon thy pulpit. Something like that. All right. Well, good morning. It's good to be with you. What a great day to be worshiping the Lord and to be celebrating the things that he's done in our lives and and here at Southside. And hopefully, if if you're visiting here for the first time or you're relatively new to Southside, um, you might have heard or maybe you're just hearing for the first time that today we're going to have a celebration luncheon right after this service. Uh, We've got food being prepared right now as we speak, some delicious chicken and hamburgers and hot dogs being made up. And then we're going to have a time of, of worship, really, of looking back at this past year at what God has done and, and where he's taken us, where he's brought us, and, and where he's leading us over the next year. And it should be a great time, again, of celebrating uh, the Lord's faithfulness through the ups and downs of life. So, again, uh, please make it a priority to be there. I think it's going to be a great time of fellowship and celebration. Well, about two years ago, I got married for the first and last time. And uh, uh, I took my wife on a honeymoon trip down to um, Monterey Bay, California. And we drove from Newport all the way down on the Pacific Coast Highway 101 and PCH1 down in California. And it was a beautiful drive. And uh, there's lots of favorite places along the way. Uh, the, obviously, the coastline is beautiful and the redwoods are amazing. And, and, but one of my favorites was driving through the Sonoma Valley in, in Napa, California. And uh, part of that, I don't know if I'm just a little bit OCD enough to really enjoy all the rows of vines and the order in which those, uh, those grapes and those uh, wine vines grow. And it was just it was incredible to me to see just the, the uh, hundreds and probably thousands of acres devoted to, or, to, these, to these plants and the, the order in which uh, they're arranged and the care that is given uh, to those plants. And so a couple weeks back when I was uh, gardening and mowing the lawn and taking care of my backyard, uh, when I noticed a, uh, a plant growing along my back fence. And upon closer inspection, I thought it was just a, an ivy or something along those lines, but there was little grape uh, clusters growing from it. And sure enough, after doing my research and going to Google, I, I found out that it was indeed a, a grapevine that was growing in my backyard. And how it got there, I have no idea, but it's, it's very young and, and it's uh, growing along my back fence. So I took the time to weave the vines along my fence so that it could have a place to rest and grow up on. And then I went and I, and I did a little research online of what it takes to grow a, a, a grape plant, a grapevine. Now, it's remarkable. It takes a lot of work, and there's a lot that goes into it that I had no idea. It's not just something you plant in the soil, and then it takes care of itself. It just grows healthily anyways, healthily. Healthfully, whatever that's the word. But anyways, uh, uh, and so I, I went and I found out that, for example, that the first year that a plant, a vine grape plant is, is uh, planted and as it grows, you don't actually want to eat the grapes. You want to clip off all of the, the grape clusters so that all of the nutrients that the, the vine gathers from the soil can be devoted to the health of the, the branches so that it can grow healthy first before it starts to put its efforts into uh, growing grapes. Uh, it takes a lot of clipping, of, of caring for the different vine or the branches. And sometimes you take clippings and you start new 
uh, vine plants or great plants out of them. Sometimes you graft new branches onto the vine. And, and it's really, it was really fascinating to me uh, all that goes into it. Now, knowing my green thumb, it probably isn't long for this world. But in the meantime, it's kind of a fun little thing to take care of and to watch grow in my backyard. I did break the rule in one way. I left one cluster of grapes on there, crossing my fingers that I'm in about a month or two, I'll have about 12 grapes to eat. So that'll be a success. Well, anyways, in the Bible, we find a lot of, of illustrations that are tied, allegories and metaphors that are tied directly to this idea of growing uh, vine, uh, grape vines. And so it's with that kind of understanding of the care and the attention that is devoted to these plants that we find Jesus in John 15 use the, the metaphor of a vine in comparison to his own life in his interaction with his followers. So we're going to read that this morning in John 15. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. <clears throat> Excuse me. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. If a man remains in me, and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me, and my word remains in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be given to you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. And here we have Jesus making another I am statement. And uh, this time it's I am the vine, or I am the true vine in verse 1. Over the last six or seven weeks, we've been looking at this, I, these I am statements made by Jesus in the book of John. We started off in John chapter 6 when we looked at Jesus' statement of, I am the bread of life. And we saw that that bread of life represents Christ's provision of life for us and how he has given us life, both physical life, biological life, and spiritual life, uh, and he sustains us in that life. Then we move to John chapter 8 where Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And we learned that uh, Jesus is our, our kind of rescuer, our comforter in times of trouble, where he rescues us out of darkness and places us into the light as we turn our life and surrender over to him. In John chapter 10, the first part, we learned that Jesus is also our gate when he says, I am the door or I am, I am the gate. And that wasn't a picture of saying that Jesus is the doorway that we pass through to get to heaven but more along the lines of Jesus is our protector and the one who keeps negative influences out of us, the, the danger away from us, like a shepherd would lay down at night in front of the sheep pen so that no dangerous animals or predators could make their way in and no sheep could escape to get themselves into trouble. Then we looked at the, at the last part of John chapter 9 where Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd, and, and that means we're the sheep, right? And Jesus cares for us like a shepherd would care for a sheep. He, he would protect and to guide and, and comfort and rescue you. All of those things actually that kind of encapsulates the rest of the I am statements that we had previously looked at. Two weeks ago, we opened up John chapter 11, and we saw Jesus say, I am the resurrection and the life. 
And as Christians, oftentimes we look at that statement as Jesus being something that this being something he will be. He will be our resurrection in the end times when Jesus comes again. He will be our resurrection and he will be our life. But in John 11, we see him say that, nope, it's not something I will be. It's something that I am right now. I am now your resurrection. I am now your life. And then he goes on to demonstrate his power over life and death when he raises Lazarus from the grave. In John chapter 14, last week, we looked at Jesus' I am statement of, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And this is where we get into that concept of Jesus being the only way to the Father compared to other religions and other philosophies of life that tell us to go a different direction. Jesus says, no, if you want to go to the Father, you come directly through me. And that is the truth, and that is the way to, to life. So we see this week, we pick up with this idea that we mentioned earlier, that Jesus is the vine. I am the vine. I am the true vine. Now, why does he say true? Why does he, say, why does he need to just say, I am the vine? Well, in Old Testament uh, teachings, the word vine, or the concept of vine, is often referenced to the nation of Israel. Israel was the vine. And Jesus is saying, no longer do you identify yourself with Israel as the vine. You now must identify yourself with me. You're in me. That's how you, have, uh, you, that's how you become part of the greater kingdom. It's not what you're born into, but it's what you choose to do, who you choose to follow, the true vine. Not just Israel. It's not just what we're born into, but what we choose to be, a part of the vine. So in this passage, what is Jesus talking about when he uses these scriptures or these, uh, the teaching that he is the vine and we are the branches? Well, the first thing we need to remember anytime we look at a passage of scripture is to remember the context that we find that passage in. Uh, there is a biblical interpretation principle called context is king. Maybe you've heard that used before. Context is king. What that means is that when we try to interpret a scripture and we try to understand it, we need to understand the context in which that passage is being, uh, being, falls within. Hey, for example, if, if uh, you know, we read from the Lazarus story, Jesus wept. Well, you could pull that passage, that, that scripture, out of John, um, John 11, and you can, you can just use it for anything. You know, uh, you just went over the speed limit, and Jesus wept, right? Uh, Julie, my little sister, was, this is her right here, uh, was a brat, and so Jesus wept, right? Um, I'm sure he did, often. <laughs> but no, we, we have to understand what the context and the sorrow behind that and why Jesus wept, right? So as we look at this passage, what is the context? Well, we covered this in the back in October when we looked at the Upper Room Discourse, that final night that Jesus had with his disciples. And we see in John chapter 14 what he had just kind of unloaded on them. It was something very difficult. He, he unloaded on them that he was going to be leaving them. And it wasn't something that they were prepared or ready to, to hear. And so their world was just flipped upside down. And they didn't know what they were going to do. And so you see in John chapter 14 over and over and over Jesus saying, you know, don't worry, don't trust in God, trust in me. Don't let your heart be troubled. Don't be afraid. And he's, he's trying to comfort them. And he's saying, you know what, I'm going away, but I'm going to come back. I'm going to come back. I'm going away, but I'm going to send my spirit, my Holy Spirit to aid you as you go through what's ahead of you. So don't be, don't be afraid. So it's with this understanding that he says, I am the vine and you must remain in me. You must stay connected. Even though he would be leaving them physically, the Spirit was coming to allow them to stay connected to the vine. 
you know, it wasn't only for what was about to take place. You know, they were getting ready to go through probably the most difficult portion of their lives as they witnessed the death or the rest, the trial, the crucifixion, death of Jesus. But it was for the rest of their lives that Jesus was preparing them for. As they took over the leadership of this thing that would soon uh, be built called the church. As they taught and as they preached and as they made the disciples, they needed to stay firmly entrenched in Jesus themselves. You know, they understood this and they saw the desire and the need. They had a desire and they had a need to stay connected to Jesus because they knew uh, or they, they soon learned what they would be up against. Uh, and and they, as they did this, they became very, became very productive for the kingdom. Well, if we desire to have a similar uh, productivity level in the kingdom, it's our same responsibility to remain in Jesus. In verse 5, it tells us what happens for those who aren't in Jesus. It says, apart from me, you can do what? <clears throat> Nothing. You can have no productivity in the kingdom. You cannot be a benefit to Christianity, to the cause of Christ, if you are not firmly connected to Jesus. Just like a great, a great branch must stay connected to the vine to bear fruit, we must stay connected to Jesus to bear the fruit that he has commanded us to bear. So what is our fruit? What is our fruit? Well, you know, I don't know if you've ever done this before, but you're driving down the freeway or down one of these back roads in Oregon and you see an orchard. And you wonder to yourself, I wonder what that orchard is. Is it, is it hazelnuts? Filberts, as I learned to call them, right? Or is it, is it, uh, uh, is it apples? Are they pears? What, cherries? What are they? And thankfully, you know, there's a lot of oftentimes signs out front that tell us. But really, it's tough to tell if you don't know. Unless you're really skilled at identifying tree leaves, sometimes, especially this time of year before the fruit is on the branches, it's tough to tell what it is. But as the fruit ripens and as it grows and you walk up to it, you can see, oh, this is a cherry tree. Oh, this is an apple because I can see the fruit that is growing. Well, we're kind of in the same boat as Christians. Our fruit is evidence of what, of how connected we are to Jesus. And the fruit that we bear, just like actual fruit, comes in a a variety of forms. I believe that you can categorize these uh, fruits in our life in two basic forms. And the first of those forms is shown through our reproducing other Christians, or in other words, uh, making disciples. So the first way that we make fruit, that we bear fruit, is through making other disciples. I believe that this is what Jesus is referring to specifically in this passage, and it's reemphasized to the disciples at the Great Commissioning before Jesus ascended back to heaven. The disciples took this charge very seriously, and we can see this throughout the rest of the New Testament, specifically the book of Acts, as we see them establish and grow the church. And in Acts chapter 2, it's a very vivid picture of what, took, what transpired as the disciples took seriously the command to go and bear fruit. They preached the word. They taught about Jesus. They preached about the sinful heart of mankind. And as a result, that one day in Acts chapter 2, thousands of people came to know the Lord the fruit was beginning to come in in droves. You know, recently and over the years, I've heard a statement made by, often by people that go to very small churches. And I, I've been in this boat before. I've gone to very small churches in my life. I've been to a church uh, that was about 30 people. I've been to a church that, that was a part of a church plant that was only about 50 people while I was there. Now it's about 2,000. It's had great success in the kingdom. But often in those churches, you'll hear a statement 
uh, by some people that says this, basically. It says, uh, you can determine the health of a church by the number of people that go there. Have you ever heard that, kind of, that argument before? And there's some truth to it, right? There's some truth to that because numbers isn't everything. That isn't why we do it, just to get numbers. But numbers are a reflection of the spiritual growth that's taking place within that body. I have a friend that is the pastor of a church that is about, well, when he started, it was about 11 people. I think nine because two people died. And then he, him and his wife came on board and they grew to 11. So that's a huge percentage increase if you think about it. But his church has always stayed small. And so they have about 15 or 16 people. However, in, in, in relation to the size of their community, they're having an amazing harvest for the Lord. And they're being very effective in the kingdom. So again, numbers aren't everything. But I think that sometimes we use that as an excuse not to fulfill this first form of fruit bearing that Jesus is uh, encouraging his disciples to do here in this passage in John 15. It's our responsibility to take God's word and to share it with other people. And if we're doing it in in a life firmly entrenched in Jesus, then we're going to see results and we're going to see new people come to know Jesus. Again, his disciples saw this and took it to heart. The second form of bearing fruit uh, comes with, uh, we find this in the rest of the New Testament, as the apostles taught and uh, sent letters out, we see them talking about another fruit that we bear as believers, and that is the fruit of the Spirit. In Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 25, we see these fruit listed. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong in Christ Jesus, or we could say those who remain in Christ, have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. See, growing in Jesus, becoming more like Him, and showing the fruit of our effort is going to be revealed through the fruit that we demonstrate in our life. For example, the love that we show, the amount of joy that we have, How much patience we demonstrate to those who try our patience. How kind and good and faithful we are. How gentle and how much self-control we possess. You know, growing in Jesus and becoming more like him is really becoming a better disciple. Right? It's maturing in our relationship. Maturing as a disciple. Does this sound familiar yet to anybody? Let Let me help you out a little bit. We exist to glorify God by what? Making, very good, making and maturing. Okay, that's the two forms of fruit that Jesus has given us to bear, to make disciples, to go out there and to tell other people about him and then grow in our relationship with him. And as we grow in our relationship, as we stay firmly connected in him, then these attributes should be demonstrated in our lives. So let's also remember before I move on here to the next point, that that this isn't just a corporate purpose. This isn't just Southside the church, the big church, see church uh, purpose in life. This is something that Jesus has given to each of his disciples. This is an individual responsibility. Sometimes people say, you know, it's the church's job to tell others about Jesus. It's the pastor's responsibility to be evangelistic. It's our job. We're paid to do it. That's why we pay a pastor, right? Well, no, it is an individual responsibility. This wasn't something that was just given to Peter, and it wasn't just given to John and James. It was given to all the people who would call themselves his disciples. We all exist to glorify God. So how do we bear fruit? Well, I want to take just a moment. I had a, I had a 
something that's happened to me for the first time this week as I was preparing my message. I haven't been doing this for very long. I've only been uh, preaching regularly since last September, so I'm fairly new to this, and I don't, I don't have a lot of history behind it. But as I was preparing and, and, and answered this question of how we bear fruit, something kind of tickled the back of my brain, and I remembered that I had preached on John chapter 15 when we went through the Upper Room Discourse in, in October. And so I went back and I found my notes and I went through my sermon that I had prepared that day. Uh, let's just say I'm consistent, right, to say the least. Like every point was matched, uh, exactly. And I'm like, I, I actually texted Julie and I'm like, Julie, this is the exact same sermon that I preached uh, a couple months back. She's like, yeah, no one will remember. <laughs> Thanks, Julie. Nice to know I'm making a difference in the world. So I had a little editing to do, let's just say. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, how do we bear fruit, because I've talked about it before. And actually, every message I preach is really about how do we stay connected to Jesus and the importance of having a relationship with him. But I'll just say this, that this passage gives us a pretty clear uh, direction on how or in which we must go to bear fruit. And it comes down to this. Number one, remain in Jesus. Okay, remain in Jesus. You want to bear fruit for the kingdom? If you want to follow the command that Jesus has given us here, remain in him. When a branch is birthed off from a vine, it doesn't do it on its own. It doesn't go out there and get the nutrients out of the soil itself. The vine feeds the branches, and the branches are then able to bear fruit. It's it's the same way with us. We must stay connected and allow him to use us to bear fruit. And I believe that as we stay connected to Jesus, as we remain in him, as we build our relationship with him, and we take serious this idea that he's going to take care of the fruit bearing for us. The fruit are just natural consequences of the action of following Jesus and being serious about our relationship with him. We must stay connected to the vine. And it says when we try to do it on our own, okay, when we try to remove ourselves from the vine, that one, we're not going to bear any fruit. And two, we run the risk of being cut off and thrown away. None of us want to be there. second way that we can bear fruit is to practice what we preach. You know, we say the right things and we teach the right things and we open God's word to the right passages and we talk about them a lot. We're really good about talking about these things. But we must put them into action for them to grow in our lives. If we want to be loving, we have to be loving. We have to try it out. You know, in football, when I'm coaching up our kids and I teach them a new skill, we have to practice it. And I don't expect them to get it perfect the first time. So, for example, in our lives, if we want to be patient, if we want to grow in that fruit of our spirit, of of the Holy Spirit, then we need to practice patience. And it may be that at first we don't do it very good. And we're not very patient. Maybe we're only patient for just a moment and then we lose it. But we tried, right? And the next time we try, we're going to have a little more success. Okay, it's about putting our effort behind the words that we say. Well, that's about all I'm going to talk about this morning. Like I said, each, each, each week I, I try to emphasize these things of what we can do to grow in our relationship with Jesus and remaining in him. Today what I would like to focus on just a little bit is, a, is actually a word of caution. A word of caution about our lives in Jesus. I mentioned football earlier. For those of you who don't know me or haven't been around very much, I coach football uh, over at the Lebanon High School. I coach freshman football. Uh, and I have, a, I have a great time over there. I love the sport, but I love working with the young men more than the sport. 
And one of the things that happens every year, in our, especially at our freshman level, takes place about three weeks uh, into the actual season, about maybe a month and a half, two months into our practice and games, about three games into the season. Uh, the kids will come out for a practice one day, and they know what we expect of them. They know the plays that we're running. That we know, they know the drills that we're, we're going to do that day. And so they come out, and they do what we need them to do, or what we ask them to do. They do the drills. They know what to do. They run the plays right. Their form is right. But they're just going through the motions. Okay, there's no heart behind it. There's no, there's no uh, engaging their mind. They're in the classroom still, or they're thinking about the pretty girl that they saw in the hallway, or the note that was passed, or the f- class that they're flunking, or the work that, the, what's for dinner that night. That's often what it is for those guys, right? Okay, and their mind is not engaged in what we're doing. And so as coaches, we have to be aware of this, because if they're just going through those motions, it's like spinning your wheels on your tires. You're not getting anywhere. There's nothing productive taking place. And so we have to do something to throw them uh, off kilter, right? We have to, maybe depending on the team, we have to get up in their faces and we need to do a little screaming and yelling. Okay? Or maybe they're the type that don't respond to that. And so we have to lighten things up and make it fun and, and entertaining for them to re-engage their minds so that we can continue the learning process, that we can continue to get better at what we do. Well, as Christians, we can suffer a similar fate. We can just spin our wheels We can just go through the motions of being a Christian. We can do the right things. We can go to church every Sunday so that people think that we're a good Christian family. But then when we get behind the scenes, you know, what we, what people, if only people only knew the conversations we had at the dinner table or the, the TV shows that we watched, the entertainment that we had going on behind the scenes. We do, we look the, the right way. We say the right things. We can even, uh, love other people. We can have some of these fruit demonstrated in our lives, but it hasn't touched our heart. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5, there's a verse that warns against this. In the New Living Translation, it says it like this. It says, they will act religious. And they'll do the right things. They'll look the right way. Everyone will think that they're a religious Christian person. But it says they will reject the power that can make them godly. They reject the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives. Because they're just doing it for what looks good. It says they reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. Stay away. Well, let's not just stay away from people like that. Let's make sure that we're not that person. The way we tell the difference, and here's the thing, this is important for us. The way that we tell the difference is by what happens to the fruit that we bear when it's put to the test. We can demonstrate love pretty easily when life is going well. Right? When things are going good in our life, I just got a raise at work and my relationship with my wife is good and, and everything's peachy. It's pretty easy to live the right life in those situations. But what about when life turns upside down on you and things go wrong? What about when we're told to love? It's easy to love the people that we like, the people in our family, our best friends. It's easy to love them. But what about the person that treats you poorly and doesn't love you in return? How easy is it to love them? You know, living the life is a little different than just going through the motions. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 12 through 13, there's a passage that, uh, that illustrates this point. It says, If any man builds on this foundation, and this foundation is the foundation of Jesus Christ, okay, establishing a relationship with Jesus Christ as our foundation. If any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, 
His work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. There's going to come a day when what we build our lives upon will be tested, and what we build our lives with, our spiritual lives. There will be a day when our fruit is tried and tested. And then we'll see what kind of materials we've been using and what type of nutrients we've been taking in. Maybe it's just because I've been a children's minister for so long, or maybe just because I have never really grown up. But when I read this verse, there was an a old uh, uh, story that came to mind. And that was the story of the three little pigs. Are you familiar with it? All right, the story of the three little Think about it for a second. You got the three little pigs, right? And they each decide it's time to build a home. And so the first little pig goes out and he builds his house out of what? Straw, right? He builds a nice little home out of straw and moves in. Second little pig goes and he builds a house out of what? Sticks. He builds his house from sticks and he moves in and he's happy living in his house of sticks. Third little pig builds his house out of what? Brick. Okay, so he moves in. Things are going good. They're all having a great time in life. They've all got their new houses. And then all of a sudden, trouble moves into town in the form of the big bad wolf. Are you tracking with me here? Okay. The big bad wolf comes along representing the trials of this life and the troubles that we can get ourselves into. And the, ba- the uh, big bad wolf wants him a nice slab of bacon. And so he goes to the first little, wolf's, or little pig's house and he huffs and he puffs. And what happens to the house made of straw? It's blown over, right? goes on to the next. So that, little tr- that little pig's in trouble. Okay? And what happens to the next little pig? The house of, of sticks. Puffs and puffs and blows and it blows over as well. Goes to the third pig's house. He huffs and puffs and he blows and he blows and he blows. But the quality of the material that that little pig had invested in and built his house with proved true when the trials of life came up against him. So the question is, what are the, what are the materials that you're building with? What kind of fruit are you bearing? And what type of effort are you putting in to bearing good fruit? You know, you're going to be tested at some point in your life. There will be a day when your fruit are tested, when tried. You know, it may not be until Jesus returns. Maybe you'll get off easy. But it could be that there's a difficulty that you're going through right now that's testing that material. It could be that there's something right ahead of you that you're going to have to face. And you're going to see, is the fruit that you're bearing tasty and sweet and delicious? Or is that fruit sour and and rotten? Well... Let's be committed to being remaining in Jesus. Because as we stick with him, the materials that we're using to build our spiritual home is going to be quality. In John chapter 14, verse 16, it says these words. It says, You did not choose me. I chose you and appointed you to go and to bear fruit, fruit that will last. And there's a difference between just the fruit of this world and eternal fruit that will last. Let's invest in eternal fruit. You know, we can have fun along the way. There's going to be times when we, God gives us the freedom to enjoy this life in whatever way that we desire. But the problem is that the distractions of the fruit of this world can easily ensnare us and lead us down another path when we take our eyes and our desires off the true vine. Let's be committed to remaining in Jesus. Let's be committed to bearing fruit, fruit that will last forever. Let's create in ourselves a desire for that type of life and that type of fruit. Let's pray. God, we're so grateful for the foundation that you've laid in the person of your son 
and how he came, Father, and he demonstrated for us the amount of love that you have for each of us. And, Father, that love is such a solid framework that we can build upon. But, Father, you've given us a a job, a responsibility to build our lives on that foundation. And you've showed us where to get the resources from to build it. And that's in, in the vine, the true vine, in Jesus Christ. So I pray, Father, for all of us here that we will be committed to bearing fruit by remaining in your Son. And, Father, we pray that whatever fires come our way, whatever trials and, and uh, troubles that we may face, that the investment that we've made in our relationship with you will come shining through. And the materials that we have will be rock firm in you. In your precious Son's name we pray. Amen. I'd like to invite our worship team up as we consider a couple of challenges this morning as you go about. Each week I do these take-it-homes as kind of a, a homework assignment for you. And now the first one is uh, memorize Proverbs 8.35. And, and if you haven't done it yet, today's your last day. Okay, well, maybe not. We've got a new one next week. No, no, continue to try to memorize this verse. The, these words are powerful words. And so I'd invite you right now to, to say this with me, uh, Proverbs 8.35. For those who find me find life and receive favor from the Lord. Proverbs 8.35. Okay, that's a promise for each of us. That those of us who find him find life. And that life is eternal. And that's pretty amazing. Next one is this. What are you doing in your own personal life to stay connected to the vine? In other words, how are you remaining in Jesus? Is your branch bearing fruit? Is it? Are you, are you growing in any of these ways that we've talked about? I'd like you to pray and consider what you need to do to be more healthy, uh, to be a more healthy and productive branch. Okay, what can you do? You know, that's why I'm, I'm here. That's why Doug is here. That's why all of us who are on staff are here. Our job is to help you to be productive branches. In Ephesians chapter 4, it says he gave pastors and elders and the leaders to help everybody be equipped to bear fruit. And so let's, let's consider that this week. Let's be people who bear eternal fruit. Well, now is a portion of our service as we kind of wrap things up for us to respond to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. And we believe firmly that God leads us through the, the whispering of his spirit to our spirit. But it's our responsibility to open the ears of our hearts and to listen, right, to respond to that voice. And so now we're going to have that opportunity right now. And so I'd invite you, if you need help in this life, ask for it. Don't be ashamed because we've all been there before. We've all been on this journey through the ups and the downs. And the downs especially is a time when we need help of someone who's been through that. So please, if you need Come and ask one of us. If, if you need prayer, put it on your communication card. Drop it in, in the offering basket as they're passed. Uh, it's a great time for you to get some prayer support as, as you go through life. And Maybe it's that God is asking you to, to respond in, in giving financially to the ministries here at Southside. The ministries here at Southside are ways that we help others to bear fruit. They're a way that we can feed into people and win new people for the Lord. So it could be that that's the responsibility or the response that God is looking for this morning. Whatever it may be, whatever God is leading you for this morning, this is our opportunity to respond to him.